0: You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. This is a sermon from our series, A Better Way. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thanks, you guys, can have a seat. You guys, of all people, should be wide awake today. You got an extra hour of sleep. You're at late service, so all of you, you know, you're celebrating George's big win. Congratulations. He just punched the ticket to get beat by Alabama. All right. All right, you know, there you go. For all you LSU fans, who have told you so, right? Um, so um, the famous theologian, um, Whitney Houston, said, I believe that children are our future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. Actually, that was a 70s singer named George Benson for those older, a couple older folks. But Whitney stole it. Um, But the idea that children are the future and that it is our job to teach them and train them uh, in the next generation, that is very biblical, actually. And we're going to talk about that today. We have taken a three-week break from our series, A Better Way. We celebrated baptism and some of our ministry partners uh, and did some other things. We're, We're kind of jumping back in for two more weeks. So we have two weeks left of our Better Way. If you're visiting... This is our study on uh, kind of redeeming a biblical sexuality. We've been looking at what Scripture says about different aspects about who we are made and how we are made and the physical relationship that God has created us for and all these different facets. And so we have have talked about a lot of different things. And there's kind of two big picture topics we need to kind of finish up before Thanksgiving and in Advent season. Um, One of them today is parenting a little bit. We have kind of kept coming back, though, to three principles that kind of guide us in everything we've been saying. Number one principle is that God is good. So everything he says is good, uh, he is true, uh, and so we can trust his goodness. And if he is good, then his design is good. The physical relationship he has created between men and women is a good thing. It is to be celebrated, and the church has not done that well. We, for generations, have said, no, 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 bad, 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 and we haven't talked about it, and then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, but go get married and eat some cake, and now, yeah, go do that. And we, have, we really haven't discussed biblically what, what this looks like. And so um, we've said God is good. His design is good. Physical relationship with me, husband and wife is great. And we need to celebrate it. But ultimately, that third principle that God is good, his design is good, and putting yourself under the authority of this God is best for you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And it feels like there's freedom in life, just kind of running my life and doing what I want and doing whatever. And that actually, even though you may think it's freedom, leads to slavery and those who put themselves under the authority of Jesus find life. And that's his desire for us. In this area, the physical relationships and all this, uh, the human sexuality, all those issues, there's life and the thriving that God wants for his people, and he knows what he's talking about, and we find it in him. So we're gonna talk about that today, and the, since it's a discipleship issue for us as a church, it's not a, it's not a sensational issue, it's not something we're trying to get, get a bunch of new people to come to church, and we say, we're gonna do a series on sex. Man. No, this is a follower issue. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has some things to say, and we wanna talk about him, and we're not ashamed of him. And no better place to do it than here. So this is a discipleship issue for us, and if it's a discipleship issue for us, It's a discipleship issue for our parents and for our kids. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, And I know you're like, well, I'm not a parent, and, you know, I'm this and that. Some of you are, you know, teenagers, college students, you're not a parent. You may be one day. And then you'll get it all back. All that you've dusted out, you will get in return in spades, right? But maybe you're like, well, I'm a grandparent. The principles that we're going to talk about, it's for the church. Whatever your season, you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a 12 year old. There's, there's, truth for you here, and you might need to write some notes and come back in five years, and that's fine. Right? Because these things are all on the internet, so you can come back. But hopefully we can talk a little bit about helping children be our future, because in 20 years, I'm done. I'm done I'm retired. Right? Someone else is up here. So we want to we equip well our kids. So we're going to go there. And let me just say this right up front. No perfect parent in this room. There is none. Right, if you're looking for the perfect parent, his name is God the Father. Right? That's the only one. Um, parenting is a process. If you find a book that says this is how you do it, this is the perfect book for parenting, don't waste your $8 because there is no perfect book except for the scripture. There is no perfect parent. There's no formula. If you have A plus B and need to do this, I've seen more formulaic Christianity just train wreck people's lives. Right? There are principles we follow. Right. But there's no formula. The human heart is way too complex for that. Let me just kind of disclaim to this too. I am not an expert. I am not the perfect dad. I am not the perfect husband. I have. But I can tell you this. I am. I am neck deep in this issue. I got three teenagers, an 18, a 17 and a 13. So I may not be an expert, but I know that which I speak of. All right. I'm living it. I got public school and I got, I got it all. I got public school. I got Christian school. I got homeschool. I got all the schools. So, so, you know, if you were like, well, my kids are homeschooled. I got that. My kids go to school. I got that. So I may not be an expert, but I know what I'm talking about contextually, and there are a ton of resources out there, and I've kind of worked through a ton of them. This talk is like the summary of all that information, right? Literally in first service, you know, I think it went okay. People are like, that's a lot of information, There's a lot of helpful stuff. You might have to come back. You might have to take notes. You might have to do all these things. You might have to podcast it later. That's fine. I speak fast. I'm going to speak faster today. because we are going to be moving, right? But I want some big ideas about how we can help equip the next generation specifically in this area. Because here's, here's the truth. And, you, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 for a little bit. So while you're thumbing yourself there, finding yourself there, let me, let me kind of highlight this. We live in the, as parents, the world of two major kind of tensions, right? The first tension is your kids will grow up. They will make decisions, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. They will do that. There's a tension there. The other tension is this, that those decisions, somewhat, some of them, are dependent on how you sow early into their lives, what you do at two years old, what you do at seven years old, what you do at nine, right? Now, there's a tension there. Is it nature versus nurture? It is both. You can be perfect parents and your kids will still make bonehead decisions, but what you do when they're five, seven, nine still matters. And we got that's the world we live in, and it's challenging. And we got some ideas and some big ideas to help guide us through there. But when they get to their teenagers, they're going to be decisions. Some of them their own. Some of them the ones you've helped them deal. And we want to help work with that. And I know that everyone thinks, oh, the teenagers are so bad. Teenagers, I got it. I got three teens. They are exhausting. They are super expensive. But I tell you, my teenagers are a blessing in my house. And Some of you can say that. Maybe some of you can't. I love my teens. My son, my daughter, my 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 second son, blast. They add so much to the house. Now am I excited for them to leave? I am excited for them to leave. <laughs> but and I'm telling you, teens can be a great blessing. They really, really can. Uh, challenging and tiring, but yes, a blessing. And so I want that to be the case for us and to experience that. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 for a few moments, grab some principles out of there, and I want to be super practical with you. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's, it's literally the second giving of the law. So the people of Israel wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because they were disobedient. And, and so at the end of 40 years, they come back to the, to the Jordan River again. They're about to go over into the land. And before they do, Moses gives the second giving of the law to prepare them. For the land they are going to go live in, okay? So that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that's Moses speaking, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to, to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. You need to underline that at least in your mind. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And so right off the bat, there's an expectation that Moses is kind of letting the people know, right? And what is that expectation? It is not generational rebellion. It is generational worship. Isn't that what he said? He said, doesn't he say in verse 2, he says, your son, your son's son, you... So he's expecting that faith and worship get passed down from grandfather to son to grandson and, and beyond. That is the expectation. That is the desire, right? And there's some promises, you know, blessing in the land and milk and honey and all these things. Those promises are for Israel, Old Covenant. It's not saying, okay, if you live in a it's the land of milk and honey. That's not what he's saying. It's the land of, you know, restaurants and, you know, stores and traffic. That's what, that's the land of but, the idea is, the principle is, here's what you need to do. You need to, grandfathers, fathers, granddaughters, grandmothers, aunts, uncles, we're looking for generational faithfulness to God and worship it down through the generations. And he gives the great commandment. Here is the Hebrew word Shema. That's why they call it the great Shema. Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. The Lord, Yahweh, is One. There's one God, one, that's it. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of Lords. He is exalted above all, all everything, right? And as New Testament now, new covenant believers the fulfillment of the rest of the canon of scripture, we kind of have a, a deeper even understanding that we believe God existed as one God who eternally exists as three co-equal persons. Each person is fully God, yet there is one God. There's God the Father, there's God the Spirit, there's God the Son. They're distinct, but yet one, right? They're co-equal. And and so we have the mystery of the Trinity, but it's 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 just further revelation. It's not necessarily different. There is one God, right? And the command thus is to love him. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul. Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. This is the summary of it all. Love God with everything you got. And you say, how do I do that? And, and I know in, in Christian circles, we like to say, love is not an emotion. Okay, how, work, use that on your anniversary. Honey, I don't really emotionally love you, but I choose to love you because that's biblical. Right? That'll go well for you. All right? the love is, is yes, love is a choice, but love is an emotion. There is an emotional peace. Love God with all your heart. All right, there is a, there's an emotional peace. But there's also another idea here that how does how are we to love God? How are the Israelites... To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He tells them, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. The idea is one of the ways in which we love God is that we obey his word. Right? Obedience to God is love for God. This is what Jesus says. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Right? Right? Okay, so you, you, you cannot say, this is very kind of young person too, very kind of 20, 30. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't, really, don't want to really believe what he says about this, this, and this. Then you don't love him. You love the idea of him, but you don't love Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. My sheep hear my voice and they listen. Can't get away from it. The scripture it doesn't mean you're perfect. No perfect parent. We're no, not saying that. But you can't say, "I like Jesus, but I don't like anything He says." It's not love, right? That's not love. And so, one of the ways they are to love, one of the ways you are to love, is by following Him. And He says in Deuteronomy, "Now it is your job. You shall teach them diligently." And this is great little. You know, phrase that's translated different ways in different translations. I think the NIV says you're to impress upon them. The New Living says you're to, to repeat it over and over. The Hebrew word literally means to engrave. Right? So, so you teach them diligently, to, your children, what? To love God and to follow Him. And you're to do it where? You're going to talk about it when you're in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you chabot it on your hand, and all these different areas, right? And the idea is not, okay, put a, put a picture on the wall that says, I love Jesus, right? The idea is wherever you go and just the gamut of your life, the love of God and the following God is supposed to be part of it. So if he was writing today, he'd be like, when you are in the minivan headed to soccer, love God and teach him. And when you're headed to the Walmart, or if you're that guy, the Whole Foods, whatever. You like spending your money poorly? That's great. Go to Whole Foods, right? <laughs> Wherever you're going, you're talking about this. When you're when you're reading Goodnight Moon at night to the kids, Goodnight Moon, Goodnight stuff, so, you know. When you're reading that little book, you're talking about it. When you're when you're doing, you know, you know, whatever stroller moms downtown, you know, running around with your strollers on the way with the kids, you're talking about it. When you're at dinner. When, The idea is your love for God and you're following him. It should just, it's not like something Sunday morning 9 to 12. It's like, okay, we're just talking about it. It's it's part of what we do. And here's the thing: in that day, when he's commanding this, there is no church. They're in the wilderness, they have a tent. It's called the tabernacle. Every time they stop, they set it up. and Then they break it down. Right? There's no like, okay, it's Sunday morning, let's go to church. That you would go to the tabernacle and offer a sacrifice, but there was no, like, church service. It was not like, hey, what service are you going to? I'm going to the 815. Moses is speaking. I'm really looking forward to it. Right? It's going to be great. Okay, I got nursery at 9. Okay, I'm a, you know. It was not that. Right? Even when they got into Jerusalem, finally, and the temple was built, people didn't just go up to the temple every Sunday. Maybe if you lived in Jerusalem, if you lived up in Galilee, it's a weak journey. You might have had a local synagogue. You might not. You went down to Jerusalem three times a year. My point is, whose job was it to communicate, love God, follow God? It was not the church. It was the parents. They were to communicate. Because there's an implication that there's truth that is outside of you, that you need to get internalized. And it is the role and the job of who? Those who are watching the kids. parents. Because kids won't naturally just come to truth on their own. They naturally don't tell the truth. They naturally lie. They naturally aren't selfless. They are naturally selfish. And so you have to teach them this truth is outside you. It needs to be internalized. And you cannot change the heart, and I'm not saying you can, and you cannot just have some formula, but you can expose your children and the people in your lives, your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids, whatever, to the grandness of who God is and what he's called them to, and it's his job to change the heart. But he doesn't do it in a vacuum. Right? He tends to use parents right and so that is that is what we're going to talk and since discipleship and following God loving God with our bodies is one of the pieces this area of sexuality and and guarding our hearts and purity is a big issue for his parents it just is because it's linked to identity and intimacy and all these things we've been talking about so I want to give you some thoughts right I want to give us some thoughts again not a perfect parent nobody is some of us have failed, but we, we need to kind of, I, I want you to at least have some practical ideas of where to start. And I got a lot of them, right? So we're going to be moving. And each one could probably be its own sermon. So, I, I, you know, you're like, well, I wish you would talk about that more. Well, I can't, all right? But I can give you some big places to start. Hopefully this is some great discussion in your community groups for the next couple weeks. It should be. In fact, I think the best thing you can do, there's plenty of great resources that I'll, we can point to. But one of the best things you can do as a parent is grab someone that's 10 years beyond you. I mean, they're still playing for UGA. They're like, I got two more payments, right? Grab that guy because he remembers. Grab that guy because they remember and, and, and find out, okay, what did you do? What was good? What was that? that? That's one of your best resources, and you'll find that in our community groups a lot of them, right? But we're going we're gonna to give you – I'm going to give you eight points, right? That's almost three full Baptist sermons for you, okay? So you know, a lot here and one prerequisite. So here's our prerequisite, right? Before we even start jotting notes for the kids. Yeah, I'm going to get these kids when I get home. Here's the thing. Start with you. Here's why I say that. Right? You cannot reproduce what you are not. And the need is not for wholehearted teenagers or wholehearted 12-year-olds. The need is for wholehearted parents. Right? We need parents who are loving God. We need parents who are, who are serving God and following God and repenting of sin and moving towards him and all these things. If you try to just bypass yourself and go to the kids, that is failure. And so in Jesus' language, let's take the log out of your eye before you go get the speck out of your kids. Because his speck is probably your log. Right? If you're a lazy parent, you're going to produce lazy kids. If you're a sneaky parent, you're going to be sneaky kids. And so we, if we want wholehearted teenagers with wholehearted kids, then we need to be wholehearted. That means you need to be pursuing Jesus. That means you need to be walking with Jesus. That means you need to be owning your deal. And that you cannot pass that on if you are not doing it, Right? But if you are... And God's kind of moving your life, And His presence is heaven in your life, that's going to rub off on those below you. Right? So, so what? That's, that's the starting place. Before you start writing notes for your kids, ask yourself the question Am I walking with Jesus? That's a great question to ask. Great place to start. Right? That's the prerequisite. Here we go. Let me jump in uh, to just eight B's. You can like B fill in the blank. And here we go. Ready? Go. Right. Be proactive. Number one. Right? Big piece. Most, a lot of our parenting is not proactive. It is reactive. So little Johnny gets a C on the spelling test. We take little Johnny's Xbox away. Right? Little, you know, little Janie smack little Bobby in class. He sits in timeout. And it's all responsive. Is there a place for parenting and, and discipline? Absolutely. Right? But we should not spend most of our time reacting. We should spend most of our time proactive. The heart of Deuteronomy 6 is not responsive. It's Preemptive. It's it's get there before, and I am super guilty of this all the time, so I'll tell my little boys they you have a little room together, go clean your room, and I'll, and I'll come down in like 13 seconds like we're done. I'll be like, there's no way you clean your room that fast, and so I'll go up, and, and it'll be a wreck, and I'll be like, what'd you do? Did you pick up a pencil? Is that what you did? And I'll have to say, no, no. See that's that, and then I'll respond and I'll be upset and frustrated. That is reactive parenting. What I should have done is walk up the stairs and say, okay, here we go. The bed needs to be made under the bed. You see all that trash, get a trash bag, get that all out. Clothes are not in the hamper. All right, you you fold those up. I should give direction, let them then go. And then I come back and, and, and if they don't do that, then I can respond. But that's getting ahead of the deal. That is proactive parenting. We need to spend most of our time there because it's not an event. It's not punishment. It is a constant flow of truth that your kids need to be exposed. To. That's right. Because they can, you can't change their heart, but you can show them constantly the beauty and the grandeur of God. Right? And God doesn't do that in a vacuum. He doesn't use His parents. So be preemptive. Right? And as you are preemptive and proactive, be early. It doesn't start when they're 16. One of the, I had the privilege of going to a uh, Christian ranch out in California a couple times the last couple of years called the JH Ranch. Really helped me develop some language and some ideas around this idea of parenting. We shared it a couple years ago. We did a series called Legacy. It's still on the website. <clears throat> you can check it out later. It develops these more. But we kind of created a graph to help you work through seasons of parenting. And they are seasons. And so you've got to start at zero. Right, You're thinking about these things. And these ages aren't set in stone. These are just areas. But you establish authority from those, in those young years. Not dictatorship, but you want your children to be able to hear your voice, respond. When you say, don't put your finger in the socket, they respond. They listen. When you say, go do this, they respond. And they're learning to follow you and trust you. Because what you're trying to do is one day raise them so that they are trusting the voice of the Father and his promptings of his spirit. And you're getting ready for them to put themselves under his authority. And if you do not do this when they are young, if they can't learn to follow you and trust you, when they become older, it complicates things greatly. right? Because there's gonna come a day when it looks like there is no authority, and if they can't put themselves under authority when authority is close, what's gonna happen when it seems like there's no authority there? They're gonna go buck wild. Right? They don't know how to master themselves. If they can't master it when their when authority is close, what are they going to do when authority is gone? And what I see in a lot of parents and teenagers is because there was no kind of uh, direction and authority, it was just kind of like, whatever you want, And we have some nursery workers that are like, what are these parents doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, right? Because their kids don't respond. They don't listen to anything. And I'm not talking about wild boys. I got wild boys. But they don't listen. And, and it's whatever and just free, course, if you don't establish when they're young, what ends up happening is they turn 15 and they're they're just out of control. I know what parents have to do is they have to squeeze down on the 16-year-old and treat him like he's five. And we, we're limiting his freedom when we should be getting him ready to go. We're actually restricting him because he doesn't know how to handle himself. Why? Because he didn't learn to follow authority and put himself under it and be humbled early on. So it's, it's super important to kind of establish it because then we're saying, okay, here's authority, here's scripture. Second kind of phase of life, is kind of in this six to 12-ish, and again, ages are flexible, but it's just developing responsibility. Learning to be part of the team and doing something. Because here's what I see, and it's, it's getting worse and worse. Because we see parents, for whatever reason, grew up poor, didn't have much, whatever, trying to bless the socks off to of their kids. Oh, and it's great because you want your kids to, to have things and whatever, but they do so at, at their own peril without any responsibility. So just pouring out blessing and prosperity and blessing on this 13 year old with no responsibility and nothing tied to it. And then all of a sudden, these teenagers start thinking, they're like cats. You, know, you feed a cat once, they think they're the king, they come to your house, right? All right, they're always there. I must be the most important thing in this family. I'm pretty important. Look at all the prosperity that's being poured out on me. Look at all the blessing. And eventually, when you pour out blessing and prosperity without responsibility, it creates arrogance. Arrogance. And so we got teenagers who were looking at their parents who have been pouring out blessing in cars and vacations. And now these are the two worst persons in the world because they're keeping me from what I know I deserve. Because I'm 16 years old, and I should have a car because they have a, And I said this, and, and, and they've never been taught that they're not the center of the world. Right? And these two people keep getting in my way. Right? And so they're not right. Why? Because they didn't learn that they're not the most important thing in the world. Yes, we love you, but there should be responsibility. This is why chores and work and, and, put, and humility is good for 11-year-old boys and 11-year-old girls. We're training them. We're trying to, final thing, is wants them to independence, right, and facilitating independence where that freedom is tied to responsibility. Hey, buddy, you want a car? You want to drive? Awesome. You better have B's. Because you have Cs, you ride in the bus, and you can ride in Mama's Mini, right? Mini-van, not Cooper Mini, right? The uncool version. You, you, want, you, want, you want to drive? Okay, you pay for gas. You got to get a job. Right? It's 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 called responsibility. Because in real life, guess what? We know this adults. Freedoms are tied to responsibility. I don't work. I don't have electricity. It's the way it works. I don't do a good job at the job. I don't get vacation. Right? It's, it's this is real life. There's no participation trophy. And we're trying to get people ready for that. And you start and you start establishing, you can trust me. I, I want your best right? Um, you got to start early. It's, you got to be diligent, right And again, there's some flexibility there and this is why you have to ask good questions, but you got to start early you got to be there first, be early. Next thing, be diligent. you got to be diligent because of the significance of this issue identity intimacy, so much junk out there and we have four different types of parents pretty much and we all kind of go back and forth on them. We have Mr. Permissive Parent. Real low on discipline, real high on love. This is hippie dad. This is hippie mom. Right? It's just about fun and just go have fun and you can do whatever. Woo! Yay! Isn't it great? Everything's couched in there, right? Um, I'll have you know we'll throw a party and I'll take the kids' keys. Come over to our house. Right? It's friend parent. Right? And this is the parent that really when the kids ask, Well what do you think about this? It doesn't matter. Just have fun. Whatever you think. Right? They won't go on the hook, and so there's no confidence, and that kid has nothing to anchor themselves to, right? You don't want this parent. We don't want neglectful parents. is low-discipline, low love. And when I talk discipline, I'm not talking about punishment. I'm talking about treating, teaching, impressing, engraving, right? Equipping for life. So neglectful parents like, yeah, whatever. So you got the 15-year-old boy who doesn't know how to tie a tie. He's never had a job. He doesn't know how to keep a job. He doesn't know how to do an interview. He doesn't know how to shake anybody's hand. You got one more boy that shakes him a hand like it's a. Fish and me, nuts. Right? Amen. There we go. That's right. <laughs> but that's, that, that's neglectful, parent. Right? We, we ignore that. That's not engraving. That's not impressing. Here's, th- here's one we see in the church a lot. It's one that I gravitate to because I had a Marine Corps dad and I went to military college and I'm black and white and a lot of things. Is low on love, high on discipline. Right? High teaching. <laughs> Work hard. Get good grades. Don't fail, right? Not relationally good, but real, real rules follower, which it, it can lead to, you know, self-esteem issues because if I don't win the game, if I make a mistake, if I get a C, then I feel unloved and, 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 and got to be real cautious with this one because there's anger and kids are fearful and they walk around the house in the eggshells and they don't want to be open when they're struggling because if I struggle with something, mom's going to hammer me, right? So there's no love, but there's high intensity. And this is when you get off and you got frat boy off at, you know, Georgia who just goes buck wild and crazy because he's all about performance and involved.'re super materialistic, and I got to have this kind of car and this kind of house because that way I'm successful, right? Seems like, yeah, you know, because they can follow rules, they're real, they're real good, but that's really, it's just looking for rebellion. What we want is high influence, right? High love, highly relational, yet highly training. Life is, your, life is your kind of canvas, and you're constantly teaching, constantly leading, constantly having discussions. This is what we're looking for. This is being diligent, diligently teaching, right? Uh, the person who is, is diligent and understands this is, knows that a 10-year-old needs something different than a 17-year-old, right? They're not getting the same deal. They know personality. They know their kids. One, this kid's super artistic. This kid's rule follower. He knows that a 12-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl are light years apart. Well, they're one year apart, I can just tell them the same thing No, big difference One's playing with Legos, one's putting on lipstick Right, I mean, it's like Big difference Right. And knowing that it's part of being diligent Right, diligent Parenting and equipping Understands that it's not an event It is a process The diligent parent will be The first one there to talk about These things Right, because if you're not the first one You're thinking, oh, the school has health in seventh grade. We'll do that. Or the church, you know, Talavo does it, and RJ does something in middle school. If you're not the first, then the football bus will be the first, right? I can guarantee it, right? And so there's something about being first actually that shows that a couple things. Number one, that you know more than their buddies, right? Because you got there first, and yeah, they think they know. You're the expert, right? This is not something new. We've been talking about this for a couple thousand years, right? You didn't discover anything, but it, it, it gives some ability to trust, right? You should be the first there. It shows, more than, it shows that you know more than their little buddies know, too. Diligent parents know that it's not the talk. It is hundreds of talks. Now, there might be the one bio talk, but it is a constant. As, as your teens get older, too, I mean, it's a temptation to just craziness that there's talk I mean it's probably y'all it's probably a weekly talk in some context. Right? Just hey how you doing? What's going on here? What's what you see? It, it's a big deal. And, and when you have these these kind of discussions, um, you can't be shocked. You can't let them like what's going on down there? That's cool. You can have that discussion with your spouse later, like, oh my goodness I But when you're in front of it you gotta be like, no big deal. Man. I know that. I know. So then there's like Normalcy, Right? Because th- this is what you, they need. You get, this is diligence. Right? It's being engaged, being part of it. All the school teachers, by the way, in the house know exactly what I'm talking about. Go, uh, go grab a high school teacher if you think I'm lying to you. I'm going to just tell her. Right? And, and some there is some great resources out there. If you're like you got that 11-year-old, 12-year-old girl, and you're thinking, okay, we need, to, we need to kind of move in this direction, there's a great resource out there called Passport to Purity by Family Life Today. It's a video series. It's a couple of DVDs or even CDs. It's, it's designed where you get out for the weekend. You know, you go to Perimeter Mall up in Atlanta and you go shopping and, you know, you, you listen to the CDs and you talk about some things. It's a great starting place, guys and girls. It's a, you know, you, a couple of our folks have used it. super good. So, so that's one that's out there. Uh, this is a good resource. Um, next thing, be positive. It's a big one. Because in the church, what have we done? i told you no, no 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 no, no. That's what we do. And all of a sudden, but save it for the one you love. Because it's so bad, 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 bad. something to be feared. This is not the language of the scripture. Right? It's a it's a blessing, it's good. Right? I think that when we talk that way, it's just like I liken it to Cuban cigars. Right? And I'm not a cigar guy, but why does everyone want Cuban cigars? Because you can't have them. Right? As soon as they open that deal up, Cuban cigars are just like Nicaraguans. I don't know. I mean, no, then it'll be like North Korean cigars, right, because we can't get those. There's something about no, 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 bad, bad, bad that just intrigues the sinful heart. And so instead of speaking so negatively, we should speak about these things impossibly. That's not mean there shouldn't be warning. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be like, okay, wake up. But when Solomon is teaching his son, and this is a passage that some of you need to take your boys through. And girls too, but especially boys because it's addressed to boys. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. It's Solomon having the talk. That's what it is. In fact, there's a little book based on it called... Clueless Boys, Aggressive Girls by Dennis Rainey. It's, it's a 100-page book. It's a good read for some of you dads, right? You need, And you take your sons and daughters through the seven questions. It's pretty good. Real, you know, If you're a light reader, it's a real easy book. But it's based on that. But when Solomon's talking to his boy, he's like, buddy, this is Dilvers, not the not the scripture. But buddy, listen to me. I, I've been around the block. I know what I'm talking about. All right. And he kind of gives him some warnings. But he uses the language of, of blessing. Man, I want your fountain to be blessed. Right? He even closes and Proverbs 8 at the kind of the culmination of this section of the Proverbs, he says, son, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Down. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Now is the is the language, is the word blessed, is that a positive or a negative? Okay, you guys get an extra hour of sleep and you're okay. Is that a positive word or a negative word? That's right. Blessed. In fact, you can translate it happy, content. So what, and what you have to understand is, a lot of the decisions that we all make, especially teenagers, is capped with the, the desire to be happy, the desire to be find pleasure and joy. And so what Solomon is saying is, he said, "You want to be blessed? Here it is. You want to be content? Here it is. You want to find joy?" And we need to learn to speak of it in that way. It is a good thing when teenagers are becoming men and women. It's, it's part of life. It's how God is wired. It's, they're designed to be woman and man. That is good. It shouldn't be something like, oh, no, his voice is changing. Here it comes. <laughs> it is a good thing. And I'm having to learn this. I'm learning this. I'm in the middle of it. It is a good thing when your daughter finds a boy cute. Right? It's It's... I'm like, no, you're not. You know, it's not. That is a desire that God has wired her up for. It's good. It is a good thing for your son to find a female attractive. Now, I'm not saying when they're 12 years old, be like, yeah, buddy. You know, I mean, come on, there she is. Don't embarrass him. Oh, is that her? How oh, cute. I'm not talking about that. But it, we shouldn't say bad, 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 bad. No, you're 16. You shouldn't like girls. That is a God given desire. And it is good. Now, does it need to be stewarded and, and equipped? Yes. But it's not to be like, no, 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 you can't like girls until you get a job. I mean, I agree with that in my heart, but that's not a realistic deal, okay? So let's celebrate how God is Why Does all this energy pen up in men and women it's different it's estrogen it's testosterone it is good it needs to be trained it needs to be equipped it needs to be stewarded but it is good and it should be celebrated and we should speak about it in positive language and we should help them to to be who God has created them to be All right here's another one be free this is for parents specifically and, and 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 some of you really this is where you need to hear this is for you this may be the only reason you're here today you struggle teaching your teenagers about these things and younger because you failed miserably and you're on your you know, third marriage or you had all this, you know, this season of rebellion or what, whatever that background is and you feel like I can't teach my 16 year old because I did X, Y, and Z and if I'm gonna teach them to do that I feel like I'm a hypocrite, right? I mean I'm not asking for a show of hands but I know that that's a lot of people and here's what you need to hear. Do it, teaching kids to follow Jesus, is, it's not, you're not a hypocrite. It is a way in which you are now living out repentance. Right? It's a way in which you are stewarding your kids towards the cross. You had a past. So what? So did a lot of people. right? It is In, in Pastor Lee's words from a few weeks ago, you had a turning point. And you're out of the pig slop now, and you're, you're stopped eating pig food, and you're heading back to the delicacies of the father. And you're trying to lead your kids to the delicacies of the father so they don't have to eat slop like you ate slop. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And we don't do this with any other area in our life, which is interesting. I mean, if you're, you know, you've lied before, and you're not like, well, I lied, so I can't tell my kids not to lie. Well, I, you know, I was lazy, so I can't tell my kids not to be lazy. You do it all the time. We don't, in this area, it's like, oh, don't be hamstrung. The gospel says, if you have been set free, you are free indeed. And now you can lead others into your freedom. That You need to be free, right? Yes, you failed. Own it. The cross is paid for it. Let's move on, right? Some of you need to be free in this area. Next thing, be prepared. So many good resources. One of the best ones I found recently there's a book by Josh Mulhaville. Um, I can how you pronounce his name. It's called Preparing Your Kids for Marriage. And, and, and he highlights, I'm going to snake some of his ideas right out of his book and out of a talk that I listened to of his. There's, just in being prepared for your children, there is, he says there's three questions at least that your children, before they leave the house, need to be able to answer in a good way biblically. Question number one, what is marriage? What is marriage? Question number two, what does it mean to be male and female or husband and wife? Question number three, what is the purpose of of sex in the relationship of marriage? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can go back to that one, right? But big questions, here's why. Because, and I'm seeing this in high school kids. It's good when they say, well, you know, two people love each other, what does it matter? Because love in our culture has become kind of the umbrella that covers, oh, as long as you love them. You know, if you 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 love your oak tree, you can marry your oak tree, right? Love is just the, and and look, we wanna be loving, but here's the thing. If we go, if we're gonna be equipped and we're we're gonna have under ourselves on the authority of God, God is the one who says what marriage is, so he gets to define it. He's the one who created it. And so it comes back to a few just places where we say, I, I get that that person's committed and loved and blah, 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 but here's what God says. So we don't get to redefine what God has made. And it's important to be able to take your kids through different places and just be able to answer biblical questions so that we represent Christ well with grace and truth and we respond with love when that conversation comes up. That conversation's big and we'll talk a little bit more about it next week, Um, but it's big. And he gives in his little book, Josh, uh, a couple of different real simple ideas. I love it. He calls them the ABCs of responding, Uh, be accurate, A, which means you know what you're talking about, which means you are being prepared, right? He says, be brief. If God in the Bible in Genesis 2.24 can define marriage in one short verse, then don't go on for an hour and 17 minutes. Should be brief. If in Ephesians five, he can define the purpose of marriage in 12 verses, you should be at the purpose of marriage, succinctly. Kids don't wanna hear you lecture, be brief. Be correct, there's a correct foundation. This is what God has said, this is where truth is. Discussion-oriented, D, not just lecture. they got to be able to ask questions. they got to be able to interact. Well, I don't understand this, Dad. And, and I mean, maybe you don't know the answer. You're like, oh, let's go find that out together. It's part of growing. It shows humility. It's what we want in our kids. And then E, early and often. Constantly talking about these things. What it means to be boy? What it means to be a girl? What it be, right? One day you might be a husband. That means you're, you're serving. That means you're teaching them to serve when you're developing responsibility, because the husband's laying down his life. And, and, you're, and if you a little daughter, you're teaching her to help because she's going to come alongside and add strength to this relationship and make the man strong. It's all these different things you're teaching constantly, early and often. But you've got to be prepared. If you're lazy, you're going to be neglectful, right? You're going to be neglectful. Number seven, be involved slash engaged. All right, this is big. Just you know in your kids, there's relationship with your kids. You're moving in and out of their lives daily, right? And again, here's what you have to understand, parents. And you, if you have teenagers, you know. Sometimes your teenagers will learn how to answer what you want. They know what you want them to hear. They know what you wanna hear. So they'll answer that way. So you gotta learn how to navigate that, right? They can tell you all their, yeah, what do I? you know, they know what dad wants to hear to just get them out of the room. So you're going to have to learn to do that. But you need to be knowing the players in their lives. Who's this friend you're hanging out with? Where are you going? You need to be up to date on technology. I know some of you are like, well, I know I have an Apple IIc somewhere sitting around from 1987. You need to be up on technology, right? It is huge. It is the, you know, this is the world we live in and you can't can't resist it and, oh, I'm never going to do it. Well, that's great. But your teenagers are, your 10-year-olds are. And we need to redefine the difference between personal and private. Personal is good, private is not. No one needs private. I don't need it. You don't need it. There needs to be access. There needs to be. What we need is not private. What we need is transparent. That's the life we're looking for. Private is not healthy. Personal, okay. Private, no. That means you need to be. You need to be checking phones. You need to be say, hey, can I see your phone, bud? If he says no, a, there might be an issue. And here's the thing. You're the parent. Guess what? Guess who pays for it? Probably 98.9% of you. You pay for the phone. You pay the phone bill. Guess whose phone it is? It's your phone. They're leasing it, right? They're borrowing it, right? It is your phone. If they wanna have their own phone, they can go down and write a check for $125 for whatever tomorrow. In my house, this is my phone. And that's, that's, that's protecting your children. It's not being harsh. Remember, personal yes, private, no. You need to, if they won't let you follow their Instagram, there's a problem. If they are, you know, don't, if you don't know about their Finsta, which is their fake Instagram, which is not their real name, then you gotta go find, you gotta ask questions. You gotta be, okay, where's your other email? I know you have this email. Where's your other email? Right, the Snapchat, all these things. There's just all these temptations and things out there. You just, you just need to be engaged with them. I am shocked sometimes, shocked at how some parents just have open whatever with kids. 13 years old, open access to internet, open access to everything. You are inviting devastation on a 13 year old's heart who can't handle it. He doesn't, he cannot handle it, right? And, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm just saying it's your job to protect your kids. We you got 11 year olds and 12 year olds and 10 year olds exposed to pornography because parents are just like, clue bird, clue bird, send me a clue. Right? They just don't. They just do know. They're not checking the texts. They're not. you You have to care and protect your kids, right?
1: And you got to know where they're
0: going. And I know you got. You got the family up the street. They got the ten-year-old boy. Your kids grow up together, and that's fine. I and mean, you know, it's not the same day and age though. When we were kids, it's not. I mean, that, you know that you're, you're sending your son up to that ten-year-old boy's house, but you know that his sixteen-year-old brother has his eighteen-year-old friend over. His eighteen-year-old friend has a brother in college, and they seen all these things and done all these things, and now they got your little 10-year-old over there at the same time, and you don't know what's going on, and it's scary, I know, but we just, I'm not saying don't send your kid out to play, I'm sending, you just got to be aware of what's going on with technology and things today, right, right, they got to see the beauty and the greatness of God, so that at least when the temptation comes, it's not going to help negate it, but it might help minimize it, and, and your teenagers may not like it, but y'all, you got you gotta be involved in the dating process, right? You just got to, right? You got the hands-off parents who are like, whatever, and you got the rule on you, when you're 15, then you can start dating, as if now all of a sudden they got 15 candles on their cake and they're all ready, right? Or even you got the naive romantic, oh, it's so cute, oh, that's so cute, they're 13, oh, it's so sweet. It's not sweet. A 13 year old, can't even spell 13 and you're letting them date your daughter, <laughs> okay? I'm just saying. And I think I've established pretty good you know, ideas that uh, at middle school is not a great time for dating. I'm just, it's no, I have no scripture. I just think it's probably not wise. I actually don't think the early years of high school is a super great time too. I think there is some precedence for starting the process in later high school, because I would love to kind of be involved in this process before my kids get outside the house. So yes, I think there's there, but even in that, there needs to be talking and, and management of intimacy and where, how you're gonna guard your heart, honey, and how you're gonna guard his heart because you're, and, and, and boy, how are you going to protect her purity? And there's another great book, uh, Questions You Ought to Ask Your Daughter's Date by Dennis Rady. You, you can read that one, You bring it out, put a firearm on your hip and go for it. I mean, whatever. But it's being engaged with these things and, and asking the question like Solomon. Don't, don't wake in love before it's ready. right, how do we handle intimacy? So you're 17 and you're in love with this guy and it's so great and he's such a great guy and he's a great follower of Jesus, that's awesome. But he wants to go to law school, right? He wants to be a lawyer, he wants to do That's awesome, he has great plans. Do you realize that he's got seven years of college left? And are you gonna put him through law school? Okay, because we gotta figure that out. And if, and if not, if you're not gonna get married until after he's done law school, that means you have to manage intimacy and purity and all these things for seven years. We gotta have that discussion if we're gonna go that direction. But you at least gotta talk about it, right? All sorts of things, right? I'm not, you know, my, my, my kids joke, they think I'm, Your dad's just anti-dating. I'm not anti-dating, I'm anti-dating morons. That's the difference, <laughs> right? And so I haven't found one that's not. And when I do, I'll tell you. Right? That's just harshly true, right? But the idea is we're engaged, and I know your teenagers are well, like, I don't want Dad engaged, I don't want Mom engaged. It may be because they're arrogant, it may be because you haven't proved yourself trustworthy and into some conversations we need to have. But the reality is this. Most 17-year-old dudes can't even find their deodorant, and that's the truth. Most 16-year-old girls forget their lunch and aren't ready for school on time, and we're saying, go ahead, just do this, and we're throwing them to the wolves. It's we need to help them. It is we. It is we, right? We need to be engaged. Last one, be unique. And what I mean by this is, is there is things that dad brings to the table and mom brings to the table that are good, and we need to celebrate them. And there's things that dad can't do and mom can't do. And no one knows this, by the way, better, and i talked to someone after first service, than single parents, because single, single parents feel the weight of the absence of one or the other. And one of the guys came up and said, I was raised by a single mom. And it's absolutely true. That's why it's important for the church to fill in those gaps sometimes. There's no dad then an uncle comes in or a guy comes in or a a youth pastor or whatever. There's no mom because because it is a gap. Because there's some things that a 17-year-old boy needs dad to talk to him about. And mom doesn't need to be in the room, right? He needs to be a covering for that 17-year-old boy to say, I know you want to do X, but we're not going to do X and here's why. And you need to trust my voice in this and trust me because I love you. Right? And he needs dad to be that. Right? You want to go down to Tybee with all these people? I know it's going on to Tybee and spending a night. I know what's going to happen. We're not going to do that. And he may not like me for a little bit, but I'm being his covering and I'm protecting him. And there's things dads need to do with daughters, affirming and loving and showing affection and, and it's, because otherwise she'll get it somewhere else. There's things, and I know we all, you know, there's contributions, ladies, that you have for your sons that you that need and for your daughters. Your daughters need you. There's. I'll walk into the room and I can tell I need to leave. I'll be like. <laughs> because I'm here and like, oh, look how cute he is and who likes it. I don't need to talk about who's cute and who's not. That's not my world, right? It's just not my world. But that is a conversation and, a, and there's a sisterhood that women, moms and daughters can have and, and it's a great thing, right? It's great um, and, and so that's a needed thing. There's a, there's a, Huge contributions, ladies, for your sons. You have the inside secrets on all these things. Like, so you can tell him, all right, when she says this, this is what she means. (laughs) And she did that, and you don't understand why. No one does, but this is what's probably gonna happen next. And you can seem like like a genius and a prophetess, right? In the end, though, we need to be engaged. We need to celebrate the uniqueness of how God made us male and female. And, and parents, let me just encourage you, you need to be parents first. One day you can be friends. We can be friendly, and I love my teens, and I love, man, me and my oldest, he's 18 now, I tell him, you can go to big boy jail, just a reminder. Right? But, man, I love hanging out with him. It's fun. And one day, we're gonna be better buddies than we are now. Right now, I'm his dad, and you're a dad, until they start paying their own bills. When they pay for their own car insurance and cell phone, then you can be d- friend-dad. Until then, you're dad-dad, right? Same with, with daughters, right? We, they need parents. They need parents that are engaged and gracious, um, huge contributions, men and women. And we need this, in, and this is in community groups, and we need this, this is why we do it with the neighborhood. With the neighborhood, we have lots of opportunities to come in and, and fill a need and fill a gap. That's why we wanna see more and more pressing down into this. In this South Gardens neighborhood as a church. We want to have impact, uh, and, and, and hopefully God will allow us to do that. If you're a teenager, if you're a young kid, just, just hear me this. I've been there. I know you think your parents are mean. I know life is hard. I mean, it's hard getting free meals, free cars, free schools, waking up late. I know it's a hard life. I think that's it. But here, here's what you need to know. Your parents love you. And 98.7 of them are, are doing their best. And they just, they've made mistakes, and they just want to see you thrive, just like your heavenly Father wants you to thrive. He wants you to thrive. Teenagers, you need to hear me. One day, God wants you to have a great sex life one day with your spouse. He does. It's His will for you. He's created you, and that's one aspect of it, but you've got to trust Him in that. And I know the world's pulling you in all these ways. Just trust the heart of God the Father. His heart is so gracious towards you that he sends his son to die for you in your place so that you could be with him forever. That's a pretty good dad. You can trust him and you can trust your parents. They're gonna make mistakes. They already have, I have, but I promise you their their desire is for your best. Uh, If you're a parent and you're tired, just just remember that parenting is a season, right? It is a exhausting, tiresome, is it ever gonna end season? And the answer is it is. And I can look around the room the people, and I've been here only 11 and a half years. I remember your kid in middle school, and your kid's gone now. You remember my kids. When I came here, my oldest was eight. He's 18. No, six. I don't even remember. How long has it been? It's been a long time. I've been here 11 years. He was seven years old, my oldest. He's 18, graduating. It's a season. It's a privilege to be able to pursue your kids and run hard after them. Because here's the thing. We have a father who pursued us. And he's our model. And if you failed, there is grace and there is mercy and there is hope and it is never too late. You're like, oh, I'm 26. I mean, my kids are 26 and they're gone. I, I just, I, I messed up. There is it's never hopeless. There's always grace. The prodigal son came home. You can show grace and love and you can still pray for your kids. There's, there's never not hope. You need to know that. You need to understand that as a church. And we're here, right? And if you need if you're, if you're struggling and you need prayer, we got people in the back that'll pray for you. If you need counseling, we got, we have some great elders who are great parents. We have some great counselors. We have staff pastors. Love to meet with you. If you're a teenager and you're struggling, put it, fill out a card, drop it in the box. We'll, we'll call you. We'll, we'll meet you. With you. We want to help you where you're at. That's our desire, right? We just, we're not perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. That's why we have a Savior, right? And so we're going to worship our Savior uh, right now and pray. Uh, so why don't you stand? Father, I pray for those who are just struggling, for those who are down, for those who are rejoicing and and, and fruit, whatever it is, Lord, I ask that our church be a church where people who are broken and have questions can find answers in you. Um, I pray for our teenagers and our young kids That the world they're growing up in is so challenging. Just help them to see your goodness and your grace, your love for them. For someone who's just hurting this morning, just be real comforting. May your spirit uh, just comfort as he does so well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.